Hey, hey, podcasters, welcome back. Today's going to be a great, great day because we have two special guests on our panel for podcasting, and they're going to talk about heart health. We know February is Heart Health Month, and they are here, Cheryl Neal, um, who actually had a heart attack, so we're going to be listening to Cheryl's story. And then we also have Ann Ferris, a cardiac rehab manager and nurse in the cath lab as well. So she's going to talk a little bit about signs and symptoms and and things we need to know about prevention of heart disease. First off, Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I, you know, with February being heart month, I kind of looked up, before you came, I wanted to get some statistics on the prevalence of heart disease in America. And I pulled out some things from the Centers of Disease Control. And heart disease is the leading cause of death for men, women, and people of the most racial and ethnic groups in the United States. One person dies every 37 seconds in the United States from cardiovascular disease. And about 647,000 Americans die from heart disease each year. That's one in every four deaths. So it is a big problem. And, you know, we always think of heart disease as someone that's obese or overweight, someone that smokes, someone that doesn't eat right. And really, yes, those are things that we can control, but there's a lot of fit people out there. You hear about it all the time where, you know, they're running or they're the fittest people in the world and they have heart disease in their in their genetic code. So they have heart attacks. And Cheryl, you are one of them. I've I've known you for a while and I know... You have always been fit. You've always watched what you ate. Can you tell us about your journey and your story of heart disease? Oh, absolutely. Um, I have to reach back into the memory banks a little (laughs) bit because it's now been seven years. and, And sometimes I actually have to pinch myself and say, did that really happen? Well, yes, it did. And and it was, it was a evening like any other evening. It was a Saturday night. We had kids in college and they were home. And as I look back and think about my day, there was nothing unusual to it. Some of the family decided to watch a movie, and I thought, eh, skip that, and I went off to bed. And I think I slept a couple hours, and I woke up with the most intense pain in the right side of my neck, my right shoulder, the right side of my chest, and, and I was miserable. It forced me to jump out of bed. And I thought, gosh, what is wrong with me? Yeah, you usually hear it's the left side. So the fact that you're saying right side, you know, you when you see the signs and symptoms, which we'll talk a little bit later on with Anne about those things, but I've always heard left side, so it's it's amazing yours was on the right side. Right. And and that's what they say, you know, women usually have atypical signs, but and I'm a nurse, but I thought, you know, what is this? And and I have to tell you the first thing that came to mind was not my heart. Because it was on the right side, you know, below my breast and, you know, my rib area, I thought maybe it was gallbladder. Mm -hmm. So my husband and my son, they were watching a movie, and I went out and I said, you know, Dave, I don't feel well. I think something's wrong. And so he was asking me questions, and he said, do you think it's your heart? And I'm like, you got to be kidding. No. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I said, I don't think so. And so I was walking, I was sort of pacing around the house, and Dave said, you know, I think you really should go get checked out. Well, of course, I'm one of those that before I go see, you know, medical help, I'm going to really make sure, particularly the emergency room, because, you know, there's a co-payment and Mm -hmm. all those other things. And I was like, you know, I think you're right. And so since we live less than a mile from the local hospital, you know, we jump in the car and, and he drives me down there and... You know, I'm met by the, the staff, and they're asking about my symptoms. And 
and I have to say, no one really said anything about heart at that time. I think they were focused on other things, but, you know, labs were drawn, a couple x-rays and things, and, and it really was inconclusive. Can I ask you, during that time, was your pain getting worse? Was it maintaining? Was it, I mean, did you start to get anxiety about the pain, or were you like, hey, this is probably my gallbladder? Um, it got, it probably was worse. I also had, you know, a horribly upset stomach at that point. So, you know, started to vomit, which is another sign that you, you know, sometimes hear. But, but again, you know, when I, I kept thinking to myself, it can't be, I don't fit the profile. You know, it just can't be. So I, I guess I am one that when stuff like that happens, I just kind of, you know, I, I try to take myself, my mind to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to be calm because I thought, okay, if it is your heart, the last thing you need is to be upset and anxious about the thing. So you're in a good place. Let them take care of you. Mm-hmm. I know I, I, I'm a firm believer that sometimes healthcare workers are the the last one to really think it could be them because we're always taking care of other people. But when it comes to similar signs and symptoms to our own selves, it's like, no, it can't be. Can't be. There's just no way, especially since you did not fit the mold for that. Right. And that's what I kept telling myself. Um, And I think, you know, periodically throughout that evening and and up until the morning when, you know, the tests were now conclusive, I was, you know, continued to review, okay, signs and symptoms and, and what's happening and do you really think it's your heart? And I kept trying to talk myself out of it. Mm-hmm. So when you were in the hospital, they admitted you, you said. Yes. Or did they admit you right yes, away? They okay. Did. So did they did they at that point think, okay, this is your heart one? Or were they just trying to go down that checklist of things with your labs? Or how were they trying to determine what it was exactly with you? Well, at the time that I was initially seen, the only thing that was abnormal were my liver function tests. Um, and so I think they really were thinking gallbladder. And, and I know I heard later that um, there was a consult, you know, to general surgery. So, you know, I think the initial diagnosis was going to be something with a gallbladder. You're so fortunate because you had a heart attack, which is different than a cardiac arrest. So how long of time from the time you came into those ER doors to the time that you realized or the physicians realized that you had a heart attack? Had you been there? And and at that point, what went through your mind when they told you? Actually, I had been there about six hours by that time. And and actually, it was the, the physician was excellent. She was not my regular physician. It was it was a Saturday night, so it was the doctor on call. And she actually had come to my room and was talking to me about some of my symptoms and what had happened when one of the nurses from the, the unit brought in the the troponin level, which they had repeated several hours later. And it was elevated, and she looked at it, and she looked at me, and she said, we know what's wrong with you. You've had a heart attack. And I have to say, at that point, I felt like I got kicked in the stomach. Oh, I bet. I bet you just, oh. I'm going to stop you right there and bring in Ann, Ann Ferris, the cardiac manager. You mentioned, um, Cheryl mentioned the word troponin levels. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what are troponin levels? Sure. Troponin is a blood value that is taken amongst other blood values to help either diagnose or rule out um cardiac disease. And troponin can start at a certain number and then it can it tends to trend up. So we tend to 
take that blood value along with other things like your liver enzymes, and then we repeat it hours later to see if that has gotten worse. And that helps us determine, okay, is this potentially cardiac? And if it is cardiac, is that is that the one thing that you look at that specific lab? Or is it a lot of things? Or is that a big indicator? It's a big indicator, but it's not the only indicator. And that's what makes it so important to listen to these very hazy symptoms. If people come in, it could be something, but it also could be one of the most dangerous, which mm-hmm. is your heart. So we look at EKG, if there's changes in your heart rhythm. Um, if there's not, then they also can look at your family history. Doctors listen to things that you say that you might not think are imperative, and that gives them a clue to then go run another test or mm-hmm. something else. Um, so EKG are your symptoms. Because mm-hmm. some people do have the classic symptoms, but their troponin's negative. Mm-hmm. And then they also look at that blood value. Um, so there's more than one thing. They also look at your vital signs. You know, some people's blood pressure is terribly high or mm-hmm. terribly low. So, you know, that's why we have our doctors to help kind of sort through all of that. But troponin is definitely an extremely important marker that yeah. we use. So once, Cheryl, you got those levels back, they realized you had a heart attack at that time? Or you were having a heart attack at that mo- at that point? At least at that point, that was the the diagnosis. And how, I know you just said it was gut-wrenching, but what else, I mean, what what was the next steps they had you you do, and how were you dealing with that in your family? Actually, it was, um, I had sent my husband home because we live so close to the hospital. I would have too. (laughs) You don't need to be here and watch me sleep. You're tired. You need to go home. Mm -hmm. So he went home. We had two kids from college that were home that weekend, and they were all in bed sleeping. And um, But things got moving very quickly because everybody did all the things they needed to, the, the medications I needed to have, the transfer papers, because I needed to be transported to a hospital where they could do the cardiac cath. So I have to say I didn't really have a lot of time to think, um, but I did, you know, I said, I got to call Dave. He needs to, Mm -hmm. you know, drive across town and, and, you know, I would like him to be there. So someone handed me a phone and, and I know that, you know, I woke him up and then to say the same words to him, you know, he was immediately, you know, frightened because, you know, time had gone by and, and it wasn't anything because someone missed something or did anything wrong. It was just atypical. Right. And, and as you said, Anne, there's signs and symptoms aren't always there. And mm-hmm. the labs don't show it right away. So if you had some, you know, I don't know, what was your blood pressure when you came in? Was that high? Actually, I, I pulled some of my records. It was 106 over 68. Wow. Yeah. See, I mean, so nobody would think at all you were having a heart attack, I'm sure, other mm-hmm. than some of those labs that Ann mentioned. And our emergency rooms are responsible for helping to identify that, but not everyone is the same. So we hope that symptoms or some sort of diagnostic tool is going to help. But, you know, that's why we really advocate if you do go home, trust that the tests were ran, but listen to yourself. If things don't go away later on or the next day or the next day, the emergency room and your doctor, they would encourage you to come back. Things can change. And it's, it's kind of a rule of thumb. Heart disease is subjective. The symptoms Mm -hmm. you have could mean many other things, but it can also be very serious. And that's why we don't want to frustrate anyone. We just want to encourage you. You are not silly in what you're feeling and you always can call 911 or go back to the emergency room if you feel like something is not right. Yeah, I mean that's something you don't want to 
you know, play around with. No. If you're feeling that, just go check it out. So Cheryl, you're at the other hospital now. They transport you over there. What was the next steps that you had to go through? Once Actually, you I immediately was taken to the cardiac cath okay. unit. That, that immediate then? It That's was, fantastic. I went from the ambulance to the cardiac cath unit. It was a Sunday morning, and they took me right in and did what they needed to. You know, I know some people say, oh, you know, I was awake or whatever. I don't remember a thing, and I don't think I was awake at all. Mm-hmm. And then when you woke up, were you like, wow, what just yeah. happened? Well, yes, I w- and I woke up in the intensive care unit. You know, I know through medical advance, things have changed in the seven years. But at that point, because of some of the other things and maybe what they found, um, I was in the intensive care unit and it was, there was a drug used and, and Ann will have to talk about that, but you know, I needed to lie flat for a period of time. And so that was probably the hardest thing of it other than to just say, oh, wow, this really was true. This really did happen. Mm -hmm. I know you're such a strong woman. I've known you for a long time. You've always had this jovial, happy-go outlook on everything. Were you nervous at that point when you came out of it? Were you trying to be strong for your family or... Was everybody just like, what just happened and what do we, where do we go from here? I mean, what was the services like for you to, to find the next steps? Yeah. I think, um, you know, I was probably pretty calm at that time because that's kind of who I yes, am. Yes, it is. <laughs> yep. But, I, can see but I also, I was concerned for my family. I was concerned for my kids thinking, oh my gosh, you know, what's, what's up with mom and is, is she going to die? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a question, you know, that everybody would ask in that situation. I did not believe I would. I believe that things were fixed, but it was then talking to my friends, talking to all the people who reported to me. In fact, you know, I kind of cheated and found my phone and called some of the managers and the the staff that worked for me to let them know what happened. And it was the same sort of the shock and the disbelief, like, really, you got to be kidding. In fact, one of them, I'll never forget this, one of my staff members said, but you eat Cheerios every day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, you know, we all see the heart on the Cheerio box. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that was sort of the the disbelief amongst everybody. And from there, then how long are you in a, in the hospital f- with um, going through the cath and doing... You know? I actually spent a couple days there, and I think maybe it was just I still had sort of the upset stomach part of it and whether or not there was anything more to that, um, as well as to get adjusted to the medication. You know, mm-hmm. I was a person who didn't take any medication. I didn't need any. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I had new pills to take, and those pills, you know, made my blood pressure drop a little lower. They, they made me feel funny. They, you know, I had a, a, a time of adjustment. Mm-hmm. So I spent a couple days there, um, had an opportunity to meet with um, the cardiac rehab people while I was there, which was extremely helpful. The nurses on the unit were very helpful, as well as a lot of my co-workers, the people that I was with every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of them, you know, experts in this area that, you know, encouraged me and you know, tried to help me, you know, wrap my head around it. I remember hearing that you had a heart attack and later seeing you a couple weeks later and you looked fantastic, but you looked fantastic before you even had a heart attack. And I remember thinking if Cheryl Neal can have a heart attack, that's anybody can have a heart attack. So I think it just created such an awareness to people around you that, you know, really take those signs and symptoms for real and, 
you're so lucky to have listened to your body when you knew that I don't think it's anything, but I better get it checked out. Um, Did you have any family, family genetics with heart disease in your, I mean, did you have any grandpas or grandmas or your mom or dad that had heart disease in your family? Actually, no. Yeah, my father had a very mild heart attack, but he was 80 years old at the time. And so they usually discount that. But I didn't have any, you know, my cholesterol was good. My blood pressure was good. You know, my weight for my height was decent. Um, There really wasn't any red flags. And I I couldn't even think of anything that had happened. Um, To stress you out or to stress your heart out? Right. Yeah. So did you, did they finally figure out that it was just your genetic makeup and how your heart, I mean, how, can you talk a little bit about that? How much genetics play a role in heart disease for someone, even the fittest of fittest people? It plays a huge role. And and unfortunately, that's why I'm a little, Cheryl is such a great example of what's atypical. Um, because sometimes every other thing can be in line as far as they don't have diseases that would complex it, like diabetes, cholesterol is appropriate, weight's appropriate, but they have family history. Mm-hmm. And that can go to the front of the line, because if you have the symptoms or if something is um, bothering you and the doctor can interpret that along with family history, um, it's, it's a pretty significant marker. Can you talk a little bit, since you're here, Ann, let's talk about cardiac rehab. You said those those girls met you in the hospital. Explain what you were going to do once you got out. What was it like going through cardiac rehab? How long was it? What do they do with you once you leave the hospital? Can you talk to our podcasters about that? Oh, sure. It was actually very vital for my rehab because I had been one, I didn't do a lot of running, but I biked, I walked, I hiked, I did a lot of activities. And I have to say those first days I could barely get off the couch, not because I didn't want to or I was afraid, but because of the medications and and how my body was reacting to them, I just couldn't. Um, But they were extremely encouraging, extremely supportive. More than once, they sort of served as the squeaky wheel or my (laughs) voice to talk to the physician to maybe make some medication adjustments. Um, It was a huge reality check the first time I went to cardiac rehab, and I remember getting on the treadmill. I walked for one minute, and I was exhausted. Mm. Wow. So I did, you know, I did have, you know, kind of a little pity party there because I was like, is this the way it's going to be? And then my common sense came back. And, well, yes, you've had, you know, a significant change in your health, and you have to go through all those steps to get better. So I did go to cardiac rehab, and I actually went for, I went three times a week for a month, and I could see the, the gradual changes. I could see the improvement. And there was a time, I think, after a couple of weeks, the nurses and um, Candy, you mm-hmm. know, the, the former mm-hmm. manager of the department, said, you know, I think you've met the maximum. And I said, but you have to realize I'm not going to settle for what might be the norm for other people. I want to be back to where I was. Mm -hmm. And I want to make certain that I can walk four miles an hour for a half hour, 45 minutes before I leave the comfort Mm -hmm. of your program, because I want to be able to go live my life again the way I was. You bring up a great point. I think that's what most people want is 
the same quality of life they had prior to the heart attack. And can you talk a little bit about that? When people come in with that expectation, is it something doable for most people? For most people, yes. Um, and if there is modifications, it is oftentimes not permanent, but just things that people are were doing outside of their lifestyles that might have been unnecessary or a little extreme in the first place. But yes, everyone can. They just want the tools and the confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and you it's different than when someone has the flu and you say, you'll get better next week. We'll be. This is a real thing that happened. And there's the before your heart attack and after your heart attack. And so Cheryl, I'm glad that you felt that way through the process because cardiac rehab is supposed to be kind of tailored for each patient. Not everyone comes a month and some people come for three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it doesn't just incorporate the exercise component. A lot of patients that have heart attacks or even heart disease will say, well, I do the treadmill and I walk, so I'm pretty comfortable not coming. Mm-hmm. The goal is not just to do the exercise, but to monitor your exercise. With these new medications, is your blood pressure getting too high or low? Can we help the doctors figure out some modifications once you, they've only seen you for two days in the hospital. So it's important that we help bridge that gap. And lastly is the counseling and the education. Um, Cheryl mentioned of course, being so unselfish and concerned about what her family was thinking. Mm-hmm. What's life going to be like now that they know mom had a heart attack? Cardiac rehab is an opportunity for us to just ask you one-on-one. Every single time a patient comes in, at least in our program, we do take them in a private room. We ask them some of the basic questions, but oftentimes it evokes conversation and even mm-hmm. depression. And mm-hmm. it can be short-term, but it's, it's, it's real. It's a very complex thing. Secondly, when Cheryl mentioned the side effects to cardiac medications, they're very real too. And frustratingly enough, they mimic some of your symptoms that you had. If people don't have a sudden onset, if they've just been feeling bad and that led to their heart um, catheterization, and then they leave feeling tired from a new medication, that's extremely defeating. Mm-hmm. And so for us to help differentiate that and for them to see them, them progress themselves, I think is encouraging. I think it's great that there's resources beyond cardiac rehab. I mean, it sounds like there's counseling. There's way more to it, like you said, than treadmill. Because mm-hmm. what, Cheryl, you went through, you got through it. And usually, you know, it's the fight or flight. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to do well. I'm going to make my goals. I'm going to do better than those goals. But once you get through it, did you ever have anxiety thereafter thinking, I hope I don't have another heart attack? I mean, does that ever go through someone that has a heart attack's mindset at all? Oh, yeah, I would say so. You know, at first when I'd have a twinge or a pain, I thought, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. is this, you know, going to happen again? And I know there's some circumstances that sometimes the um, stent, you know, might need to be revised or redone. I have a, a close friend who experienced that. And she ended up having multiple different stents. And I thought, you know, will my stent fail? Well, you know, will I have something like that? So it took a while. Do I think about it now? No. Yeah, I mean, and most of the time, that's just in general with everything in life. You know, mm-hmm. um, you have something happen terrible, and in those moments, in the first couple of months, it's it's on your mind. But eventually, life takes over, and other things become more important, and things happen to other people. And so, um, we we talk about signs and symptoms a lot. Let's get into that. 
And give us, besides what Cheryl told us, what are some other signs and symptoms? In particular, are there more? Are there certain signs for men that women don't have, and vice versa? The typical signs that we are encouraged to acknowledge is obviously any sort of chest pain, and that's not just some people have um, the sharp chest pain, dull chest pain, heaviness, but also there's other symptoms as well. The you know everyone is pretty common with uh, radiating down the arm. Um, or left jaw pain. But in Cheryl's case, and like others, it was on the right side. Uh, I One of the things that caught my attention is was it was a sudden onset for you. It wasn't where she was having a toothache and, and maybe that was it. It was all of a sudden she was having these symptoms on the right side of her body that were different from what she had been experiencing. Other very common signs are fatigue. The leading ca- uh, symptom in women is shortness of breath. Shortness of breath, it can lead to dizziness, especially fatigue. I know I mentioned that. And then nausea and vomiting can be, uh, or flu-like symptoms mm-hmm. in general for women. And then people can also experience like stomach aches or shoulder blade pain. So there's a lot. <laughs> so is I've heard acid reflux. Is that one? Do they mistake the, the burning of the chest or the heaviness of the elephant sitting on the chest mm-hmm. as acid reflux? Absolutely. Uh, I have a running joke that I tell my patients, and I, don't, I hope they interpret it as that, is that we confirm a lot of indigestion in the cath lab. We do, and that's a, that's that's a, a good, good thing. thing. Yeah. But that means that patients are listening to early heart attack care and awareness. They're listening to their body, and they might be going through testing for some very small symptoms that they think are small that we are going to lead to say, okay, let's rule out the heart. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we get to. Well, and I think, you know, with all of those signs and symptoms, I think, like Cheryl said, you could just downplay that as I might have the flu because it's flu season. I might have ate something that's wrong, but you know your body best. So just listen to it. And if it continues to stay that way, you know, I think about you had talked about genetics and, and family code. And my uncle passed away when he was 52, and his was a massive heart attack. He had no signs and symptoms. In fact, if you looked at him, he looked super healthy, and he was healthy. He did smoke, and so that was a big red flag. But the only thing that led up to that heart attack was him having an upset stomach. He had complained for a day that he had an upset stomach. Now, did he have any other symptoms in hindsight he might have? He just was thinking it was the flu, though. And unfortunately for him, he passed away with that massive heart attack. Ten years later, my father has a heart attack, and he fortunately lived through it, but his, too, was a stomach ache. So, you know, it's, it's really important that even in flu season, if you start to feel these things, you just listen to your body and get it checked out, especially if you have the genetics to it. Because if someone's had it close to you and you've seen the same signs, you better get in there and get it checked. Because you want to confirm the acid reflux at that point. You do. <laughs> and early care is so important. Um, a lot of patients do have precursors, whether they, so that starts with your family doctor or just communicating that you do have family history. That will send the primary doctor to ask you questions that you might not even know were worth asking, mm-hmm. that they can help 
put the puzzle together. When did your father have his heart attack? Mm -hmm. Um, Have you been feeling this, this, and this? They might run some some tests that you might just need to consider losing weight or reduce your fat intake in your diet. There's so many different things, whether it's your, um, maybe your cholesterol is high and you didn't know it or your blood pressure. Those are, those are important, especially when you're dealing with family history as well. So you have given us some great detail, Cheryl, about the day of the afterwards cardiac rehab. Where are you now seven years later as far as what happened after cardiac rehab? What happens when you go home and, uh, from here on out, what do you, what do you, what does cardiac rehab suggest when they, they leave there? Are they good? Do they need to do monthly checkups or do they do yearly checkups at that point? You can echo if it was different seven years ago, but typically uh, a patient will leave and see the cardiologist within two to four weeks after leaving the hospital. And then there on after, it can be up like another three or six month check. And then they should always see their cardiologist yearly. Again, a doctor knows to ask the questions Mm -hmm. that you might not know. And then once that yearly kind of breaks up, if patients like Cheryl who are doing well, that's between her and her doctor, it could get further apart. But most of the time, patients would be seeing their doctor annually. So Cheryl, we have to ask, you said your goal was to get past, you know, more than what the expectation was before you left cardiac rehab. How are you doing today? How, How are you feeling today? Actually, I feel great. My husband you and look I, fantastic. Well, my husband and I, we like to cruise, and um, we cruise often. And so we cruise, have the, cruise, what do you mean? Like cruise ship cruising. Oh, awesome, okay. So, you know, we, we do go several times a year, and we have this pact. We never take the elevator. And when That's you get idea. on one of Royal Caribbean's Oasis-class ships, they're 14 stories high. And so sometimes I may have to stop just a little bit, but I can make it from the first deck to the 14th deck, taking oh. the steps. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so much, I mean, you know, you might be fitter than you were before because now you're aware of that. So, you you know, you, you could be, I don't know if you could be because you're probably the same because you were pretty fit before, <laughs> but I'm sure you're just as fit as before. So Well, we all get older though, Sharon. Oh, no, we don't. No, no, no. You don't look <laughs> like we, you we get just a little bit older. But, Not in my mind. <laughs> but I do say that I have a different philosophy about exercise, and it doesn't have to be that I have to run a marathon because I won't, but it's just, it's intentional, And so it's part of my daily routine. I have to do something. Mm -hmm. I'm not satisfied. Sometimes my family might say, you know, you're really obsessed. And I say, well, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Movement is medicine. Mm -hmm. I really believe in Mm -hmm. that for the mind and the body. So I agree with you 100%. As I've gotten older, my, my ways of exercise have changed too. It's all about quality and enjoying life. And so... It doesn't always have to be hardcore exercise to make you happy and move and healthy. So as long as you're moving. And I think the other part of that is is the, the mental thing. It's the psychological. You know, you wrap your head around it. You have to move on. You don't want to be stuck in that, thinking about it constantly. You know, you get back into, you know, some of your usual activities. But I also think that maybe having gone through that experience is very little upsets me. I don't usually get worked up about mm-hmm. stuff. You know, even when I had a more demanding position um, in my occupation, I learned to just let stuff go. Mm-hmm. You know, do the best you can, 
but there are times that maybe you just have to step aside for a bit. Yeah, that's that's great. You're a fantastic role model for mm-hmm. people because you've been there, you've went through, you know, hard hard times with a heart attack and you you have proven that you can have just as a great a life after heart attack, post heart attack and and continue to enjoy life. So thank you for coming on. Appreciate your story. I think podcasters can connect with you because we all have someone in our life that have has been affected by heart disease. Um, and you two being nurses, you, you've seen this before even you had it, Cheryl. So I appreciate you guys coming on and talking about an awareness for February being heart health and, and talking about just if you see any of those signs and symptoms, go in and get it checked. And with closing thoughts, what, do you, what would you like to say to our podcast listeners out there? I guess I just would ask them to listen to Cheryl's story and realize that no one fits into a cardiac box. If you feel like something is wrong, you can always start with your family doctor and just start to paint a picture of what your concerns are. If you have an immediate symptom that you're just wondering and it fits into any of those large symptom boxes, call 911. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of us live close enough to the hospital that if you were to get in a car, you think, I can, I can get there faster than an ambulance. But they just need to get to you mm-hmm. because the complications of heart attack can be pretty imperative and they have the machines and the medications that as long as they can get to you, then you have some safety barriers there that can get you to where you need to be. So I will also encourage that the emergency room and your cardiac team is very used to the ambulance being called and ruling out cardiac. So just know in your heart, it is not silly. It's important and it could be life-saving. That's fantastic advice because I, I think a lot of us would think jump in the car, but you're right. You could go from a heart attack to a cardiac arrest and you wouldn't have the mm-hmm. means to help yourself. Mm-hmm. So call 911 next time, Cheryl, if that ever happens down the road to a neighbor of yours, <laughs> call 911. <laughs> So we are going to close up shop today, ladies. And I just wanted to say thanks again to Cheryl and Anne for coming in. Loved hearing from you guys. Thanks for asking. Yes, it was a pleasure to meet you, Cheryl. It's always nice to know how people are feeling after they go through all of this. And you're, you're pretty inspirational. Thank you. I think our podcasters got a lot out of this. And um, I'm, I'm, I feel fortunate to learn from you guys, too. So thank you for joining us today. And just, just a reminder to our podcast listeners that February is Heart Health Month. We will have more episodes on heart health coming in the month. Uh, lots of different topics that we'll be talking about. So keep tuning in because this is for you. And um, as always, you need to live your best life.